So if you're not on Twitter or Instagram, um, you might have missed this little fad that's been going on, uh, a bit of a trend where people are contrasting uh, pictures of how it started with a picture of how it's going. It's kind of a real thing right now. In fact, uh, these are some examples like Ronaldo. There he is, how it started. He's like the best soccer player in the world, right? <laughs> oh, all the Messi fans just got mad at me. He's like, Ronaldo, that's how it started, and that's how it's going. Uh, what about UConn women's basketball coach, Coach Gino? That's how it started. Look at all those rings. Man, the, he knows how to coach, and those girls know how to play ball. So that's, that's how it's going. Here's my favorite, Selena Gomez. She started with Barney? Are you kidding me? Maybe that explains something. I don't know. Barney was like the nemesis uh, for me as my children were growing up because, in fact, when they all grew up and we got, didn't have to watch those Barney VHS tapes anymore, we burned them out in the backyard. So get rid of them. Uh, and this, hey, B B Mercedes Benz has to get in on it. How it started and how it's going. And this is for Joey Johnson the San Antonio Spurs, how it started and how it ended. Ooh, that's rough. So I'm not even going to show you the ones with Nicki Minaj and Beyonce and none of those guys, okay? There's a lot of them out there. But I'm here to tell you that actually the Apostle Paul was ahead of his time. And though he didn't have Instagram, he did know how to paint a very vivid picture of how it started for us and how it's going for us. And so let's look at his picture for how it started. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Wow, what a vivid picture of how it started for all of us. Fatalistic even. Paul explains that uh, we were spiritually dead. We had no life. We may have looked alive. We may have had functional bodies and working minds and maybe even magnetic personalities. But we were still dead. The reality is that before we were in Christ, dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, and it's not like Miracle Max from The Princess Bride who said of Wesley, he's just mostly dead. No, completely dead. Like the zombies walking around the walking dead. Dead. Paul says we're dead in our trespasses, which indicates that we got off course, that we've deviated from the true path. And he also said we were dead and our sins. Now, that word doesn't set well with a lot of people, sin. 
Um, it doesn't set well with most people. It, nobody likes to be called a sinner. A lot of people think sin is only found in other people. <laughs> and of course, they're sinners. Uh, we, we get an idea of, of who are the sinners out there. They're the very worst of all of us, right? They're the murderers and the rapists and the terrorists and all of those people. Of course, they're bad, but I'm a good person. I'm not bad. I do it all okay. But I want to adjust our understanding of what sin is. Because being a sinner is not relegated to the worst among us. Sin is in all of us. Nobody said amen. I'm so disappointed. I was waiting. All right, let's try it again. Sin is in all of us. Oh, good. You agree with me. Wasn't sure if I was talking to the wrong crowd. Sin is in all of us. We all miss the mark, and that's what sin means, to miss the target. We're off on what should be. Sin means that we fail to live up to our best. Sin means that we fall short of what we were meant to be. Sin encompasses every one of our deviations and half-truths, of all of our white lies and impure thoughts, every single one of our dark pursuits and faithless acts is included in this bucket we call sin. There is no one righteous. No, not one. And all of this, sin kills. It doesn't keep us where we need to be. It erodes and takes away the very life that God created us to have. How? Well, sin kills us, and I, I especially like the way William Barclay illustrates it. It kills us at least three distinct ways. One is that it kills our innocence. Psychologists will tell you that we never forget anything. We, it may not be in our conscious memory, but it is there. Whatever we've seen, whatever we've heard, whatever we've done, it is in there. It's imprinted upon our psyche, the way we think, and even our memories. It is burned into us. We are imprinted by something. We never are the same after we sin. It leaves a scar. It not only kills our innocence, but it also ki kills our ideals. No one starts out wanting to be a sinner. You don't ask a little kid, what do they want to be when they grow up? And they say, a sinner. No, they say something noble or majestic or inspiring. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. I want to be the president. No one wants to be that when they start out. But the more sin is involved, the more erosion occurs and though our high aspirations were there, we wanted to live amazing lives, we wanted to be superheroes, but sin got a hold of us. And now it's lurking and enticing and it's a pattern that has so twisted us because it is so twisted that now what we saw first and we're kind of repulsed by, we often say to ourselves, that's disgusting, I will never do that. But all of a sudden, as it keeps lurking around us, we're more and more fascinated by what it might mean. And we continue to give our attention to it. And now it fixates us and we have more of our energy going towards it. And the next thing we know, the very thing that we said we would never do, we just did. Sin kills our innocence. 
It kills our ideals. But it also kills our will. It kills our will. By, by this time, we've grown non-resistant. The thing we thought was disgusting or we would never do it, now we're doing it. We've grown indulgent and we have no qualms with it. It's no longer causing us an issue and now it has a hold in us. And while we first engaged this forbidden pleasure because we wanted to, now we're engaging it because we can't help it. This is sin. This is deviation from the path. This is missing the mark that God made us for. This is not about what everybody else has done. This is about what I have done that has caused me to habitually move further and further away from God. So you might be thinking right now, okay, heavy enough, stop it. Make it stop, Paul, make it stop. But he doesn't stop. He goes further. He says, the state of our sinful deadness, that we are dead in our trespasses and dead in our sins, it's all because we have been following the course of this world. Think of an obstacle course. Think of a, a map, the way of the world. We see it and it looks appealing and though God has produced us for life, we decide to go into that maze versus have his eternal life. The way of the world is what we follow, Paul said. And, and not only that, but we follow the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan himself. And Paul says, this is the same spirit that's now at work in all the sons of disobedience. We see it all over the place. But lest we just point it out as if that's the only place it is, Paul's helping us see that we were there too. And then Paul says that we're consumed by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind. And in this claim, we see a little glimmer of light. We think, well, passions of the flesh, those are all sexual sins, right? I'm pretty pure in that area. I guess I got out of this one. Lest we think that that's what passions of the flesh really are, consider what he told the church in Galatia. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And if you'd stop there, that might justify our feeling good about the fact that we didn't have the passions of the flesh controlling us. But he didn't stop there. <laughs> Idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy. What? Drunkenness, orgies, well, those are okay on that one. And things like these are passions, deeds, works of the flesh. The list certainly includes sexual sin, but it doesn't end there. It includes all sorts of things like hating your brother or hating someone because they didn't treat you right or just causing dissension and strife, or just being jealous of someone for getting something that you wanted, or being angry. My goodness, that happens to me every time on Interstate 85. Or being divided, being envious. 
The flesh is that part of our nature that opens the door to sin, but it's also the part of that nature that makes home for sin, as if we've not only invited it in, but we welcome it wholeheartedly and we make it comfortable being there. That's the nature of the flesh. Don't think that by escaping sexual sin, the sins of the flesh, that you have avoided this part of Paul's indictment. Just being envious of a brother makes us guilty of desire of the flesh. So there's the snapshot of how it all started. Wow. How encouraging, Chris. Thank you for bringing that up this morning. We would have preferred just a nice photograph of how beautiful we look. But no, Paul has painted for us a bleak, depressing, hopeless situation. And we were all there. But thank God he doesn't stop there. Verse 4. But God. I could stop right there, but God. It's Jay and my favorite phrase in the Bible. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The phrase, in Christ, is used throughout Paul's letter, and you see it all in this thing. That's the key, folks. If you're not in Christ, the benefit that he purchased for you will not take hold. But when you are in Christ, all of the riches of his immeasurable grace, the kindness that he bestows upon all of those who are in Christ Jesus, they're ours. Hallelujah. Did you catch all that Paul is saying to us? He painted a really bleak picture of how it started. But he paints a glorious picture of how it's going. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive with Christ. We were enslaved to this world and captive to Satan himself, but God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We were children of wrath. But God, thank you, Hermania, but God, he instead spills, spend all of eternity showering upon us the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness of Christ Jesus. What a difference grace makes. Wade said it in the video. It's everything. We don't want to do anything outside of the grace. He saved us from sin and death and gave us victory over everything that held us, over everything that ensnared us. He released us from the prison that we were in bondage in. He set us free to experience the how it's going picture versus the how it started picture. 
but God. Though we didn't deserve it, and though we can do nothing to merit it, and though we can never earn it, but God did it. Look how Paul wraps up this portion of the letter in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You know, throughout Paul's letter, God's grace is the central theme. And this verse in particular is probably one of the most widely known verses among Christians. He's bringing home right now in these verses the very, the very essence of what salvation is all about. That it's by grace through faith that we've been saved. No human effort can earn it. We can't produce it on our own. And we can't strong arm someone into giving it to us. And we can't work hard enough to earn it. This is not from ourselves, Paul said. It is the gift of God. You don't get it any other way. So when someone tells you, I'm a good person, it doesn't work. It's not enough. If you think you're a good person, it doesn't work. It's not enough. We have to only get saved by the grace of God through our faith that what he's done really works in our lives. To drive the point home, Paul says it another way in verse 9. He says, not a result of works so that no one can boast. He's really drilling home that this is the free gift of God. Not our effort, not our works. We can't boast. We never were able to. We never should. It's what God did. And then Paul finalizes his thoughts in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now this is where people can go a little astray when it comes time for understanding grace and good works. Because many people can assume that yes, it took his grace to get me saved, but after that moment, I should be able to handle it on my own. And it doesn't work that way either. If it took grace to save us, it's going to take grace to keep us saved. If it took grace to get us here, it's going to take grace to get us where we need to go. And there is no other way but grace. As a result of this great salvation, however, God has produced good works from beforehand. He's ordained them for us to do. We still have a job to do, but it's not to earn our salvation. It's to prove it. It's not to merit him saving us. It's the fruit of the fact that he saved us. The works we are meant to do for him are only produced by what he has first done for us in no other way. They are not the means of our salvation. They are the fruit of it. And that's the ongoing reality. This is where it really the rubber hits the road for you and me. If you're in Christ and have accepted him, then most times you will find yourself struggling with doing it in your own strength and not relying upon his grace. 
And this is where you and I have to challenge ourselves not to think that we can do it apart from the grace of God. This ongoing reality is that we couldn't save ourselves with good works. We still can't and we never will. So if my motive in whatever works I'm doing is to earn status or to earn favor or to earn position with God, then I am coming at it all wrong. I can only do good works out of what he has first done for me. It has always been, and it will always be, by grace that we've been saved. Through faith in him, when that truth is my reality day in and day out, every day of my life walking with him, then I can understand more fully that indeed I am his workmanship and indeed he has created me in Christ Jesus for good works which he has prepared beforehand. And I can enter into that provision just like I entered into the provision of his grace in the first place. Everything we do for him, it has to have his grace in it. So how did we start? If Paul was on Instagram or Twitter today, what pictures would he post? Well, he painted the pictures for us with his words. He didn't have an iPhone. So he painted them with his words, and he said, here's how you started. You were dead. <laughs> it was bleak. But how's it going for those who are in Christ? Well, it's too wonderful for words. We were dead, but God made us alive. We were enslaved, but God raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. We were children of wrath, but God is pouring out on us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to every single person who is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This morning, my wife is teaching the upper room, and so we are all sacrificing to let her be back there teaching. So if any of you want to volunteer to be a children's class worker, you can email grace at clcadmin.covenant.life, and we can volunteer. It's only about once a month, and it'll be great. We still need workers downstairs with the covenant kids. We still need workers with the upper room. That's a little advertisement. But she doesn't get to come up here and bless us, and I'm a little sad by that. I told her, I said, you always hit it out of the park anyway. I just get up there and work for days to get a message, and you just sit there, and the Lord gives you something. He must love you more than he loves me. But we are blessed nonetheless. So let me pray for you, and the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to sing a song to close. Father, thank you for your grace. It is not by our works, it is by the grace of God that we've been saved. By grace, through faith. And we're so grateful to you, Lord, for the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me and everyone else sitting here. I'm grateful to you, Lord, that you did not allow wrath to continue but you replaced it with the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness to us who are in Christ Jesus. I pray for anyone here today that is not walking in that grace, that is still ensnared in the prison of sin, that is still trapped by the way their cycle 
of sinfulness has led them to a place of, of having their, of having everything killed in them. Their innocence, their ideals, the, the will to do better. I ask, Lord, for anyone that's here listening or here in this room, if you're speaking to them, may the Holy Spirit penetrate any hardness of heart and cause repentance to occur, Lord. Cause them in faith to step out and reach out to you and to confess their sins and to declare that you are their Savior, their Lord, and to pick up their cross and deny themselves and from this day forward follow you. God, I pray that the the same spirit that might convict someone of their sins initially would also convict us, your followers, of our sins. We need your grace, Lord, to even walk out of those places of hidden sin, of destructive sin. Lord, we don't take it lightly. You didn't take it lightly. You sent your son to die for us because of it. And if you would pay such a great sacrifice, such a great price for us to be saved, then why would we take it lightly when we sin? Let us mortify the flesh. Let us die to ourselves. Let us crucify ourselves with you on the cross that we might be raised with you and seated with you in heavenly places. I pray, God, that these truths and this revelation would not be just words in our ears, but they would resonate in our minds and penetrate our hearts and produce a great harvest of righteousness. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.